0: On today's episode, Rehabilitate with Cognitive Behavioural Therapy and Mindfulness. Welcome to the Run Smarter Podcast. The podcast helping you overcome your current and future running injuries by educating and transforming you into a healthier, stronger, smarter runner. If you're like me, running is life, but more often than not, injuries disrupt this lifestyle. And once you are injured, you're looking for answers Welcome back. Thanks for joining me today. Uh, We have a couple of updates. One, an update with the book. Uh, What has happened? I have the kind of the last week of my proofreaders, like covering the remainder of the book. It's pretty much all done. Just making sure all T's across, all I's are dotted and uh, everything's looking fine before the interior book designer Gets a hand of the copy and starts laying out the interior design of it. So that's all going down in the next one to two weeks, and by then I think we're pretty much good to go. It is distribution after that. It's putting it all together and deciding um, how it should go out, whether we release the ebook first or the paperback or both at the same time. And um, yeah, it's all all coming together. Also very exciting that Matt Fitzgerald I've had on a couple of weeks ago, author of 8020 Running and his new book, Run Like a Pro, Even If You're Slow, talked about that a couple of weeks ago, has agreed to do a cover blurb for the book. So I'll have Matt Fitzgerald's quote on the, the back page of the cover. And so real excited that he agreed to do that. Um, I've also wrote... An acknowledgements sort of section. I went through all the books on my bookshelf and had a, had a look at all the other running books and said, um, just wanting to try and have some ideas of what else to add. And a lot of them do have acknowledgements, a little, you know, one to two page um, section, thanking a lot of the people that were involved. And I wanted to include you listeners as well, because the amount of excitement for the book, the amount of encouragement and, just reaching out and saying, yeah, I'm excited to grab the book. I can't wait until it's out. Even just reaching out and telling me that has given me a lot of passion. It's sort of maintained a high level of my excitement and passion for um, getting it done because this was hundreds of hours. And sometimes it's a bit of a grind just trying to write, sit down, no distractions, just write. So it does, like, I enjoyed every of the process, but sometimes it's hard just to get the motivation to sit still for a couple of hours, but constantly having you reach out and say how excited you are about the book just kept that passion going, kept my productivity going as well. A milestone as well. A couple of weeks ago, uh, the patron tribe has exceeded 100 members. So a nice milestone to surpass there. Uh, We've had a couple just just sign on the other day. If you're unfamiliar patrons, they contribute five Australian dollars. So it's like two pounds, two or three US dollars per month um, to get exclusive benefits in the Run Smarter app. If you have that, you might see that there are patron episodes that are locked unless you sign up as a patron and then log in with those details. Then all those episodes, about 20 of them, become available to you. And also on top of that, you jump into a private Facebook group where we mingle, I ask questions, I try and get a good insight into what the patrons are thinking about certain ideas and future guests, they get to ask questions and have that particular luxury and um, yeah, some really nice insights coming from the patrons. The YouTube release, like just in the last few days, um, I actually went for a run this morning and started doing some filming um, or some like you know short clips that I want to include in some of these episodes, uh, the YouTube episodes, and yeah, it's all come together. I've got all my equipment, I'm getting very excited. I've laid out the first four videos. It's going to be a series on cadence, and I think that would be really nice for just most runners out there just to get a good insight about cadence, how it changes with running speed, um, what to, what cadence would do. In terms of injury, if you are injured, we'll increase your cadence help, those sorts of things. Um, if you're looking to increase your cadence, what are some tips and strategies to do that? So that's going to come out as a four-video series to launch, I guess, the YouTube channel. So I'll be working on that over the next uh, week or so and let you know when that when that comes out. If you are a stickler for audio quality, um, I have last week had acoustic panels in my office installed And so I can tell a difference. There's a less echo going on here. You might realize that I might sound a little bit different because this is a long time coming ever since we moved into this house last October. I've wanted some sort of acoustic panels and I've tried to get by with this nice cheap kind of foam stuck to my wall, but it's looking a lot more official now and sounding a lot better. And I thought since the YouTube channel is uh, launching soon, it's double effect. It gets, you know, good use out of the podcast, gets good use out of the YouTube channel. And so installed them, put them in. Sounds great. Looks great. Very happy with how that turned out. Um, Okay. Enough about me. Enough about the updates. Now we're going to talk about this episode. I've had um, them. It's been an idea that I've had for quite a while now and wanted to do maybe just a couple of episodes on this particular topic around mindfulness, around cognitive behavioral therapy, around pain science, kind of tying all this in together. I have had some episodes in the past, sort of similar to this, but wanted to touch on it, um, recap on it, but then add some spice to it. And yeah, like I said, it's been an idea that I've had for a while. And then this fellow Tom reached out to me. I'll not give too much away, but he is coming on next week, to talk about flow state, talk about mindfulness, talking about um, using the, the emotional um, strategies, the cognitive kind of strategies to enhance your running, get into a nice flow state and thought good opportunity for me to start releasing these episodes that I've thought about and had on, on the back of my mind for a long time now. So um, I thought we'd dive into that and good opportunity to kind of tie the, these two Kind of concepts together. Um, before diving into CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy, and mindfulness, I thought I'd give. We have to start with a recap on pain because you may not have listened to my pain episodes in the past. If you have, it's good to have a reminder because this really lays out and sets up the the rest of the content for not only the remainder of this episode but for next week and maybe the week after. I might have something else on um, in the books, but. Okay. Pain science. All pain comes from the brain. Keep that in mind. The, um, elevation of pain, the, the severity of pain is influenced by a lot of things. Not only is it the, um, the physical stuff. So maybe a muscle tear or maybe a cut or a burn or those sorts of things, but it's also manipulated by psychosocial factors. So psycho being the psychological stuff, and social, just being the social constructs around your um, atmosphere, what's going on, friends, family, work, those sorts of things. Um, so that's why we say pain has a biopsychosocial relationship with it all intertwines. And the, the, this comes into thoughts, behaviors, your emotions, your past experiences, the brain just gathers this data gains as much data as it possibly can to then evaluate it all and then decide, okay, what pain level should I deliver uh, that would best serve our purpose? It's it's kind of like a, a threat level. It's kind of like a, a level of urgency that the brain's trying to evaluate. And not only does it produce pain or amplify pain or um, dampen pain, but it's also... Relative to recovery as well. Recovery is also a biopsychosocial construct. All these sort of things factor into one another. Um, On episode 176, I released the title was Catastrophizing and Kinesiophobia Hindering Your Recovery. And I just, um, just as a bit of a recap there, Catastrophization is just your thoughts, your emotions, just driving an uh, unrealistic, pessimistic outlook on what might occur. So it's catastrophizing your the future outcome or something that might happen. And it's usually over amplified or unrealistic. And it's if you have a, a mild knee pain, it's saying, "Oh my god, will this get worse and I won't be able to walk." Um, Those sorts of things. So it's you know fueling your brain and your your emotional state unnecessarily. Uh, And kinesiophobia is the fear of movement, and it's not pain with movement. It's the fear of if I move, it will cause pain. So there's a little link between there. And that episode 176 was just talking about how they did some studies on a, a population with knee pain and discovered that before they did any rehabilitation, if they gave them all, um, particular outcome measures to write a questionnaire and they ranked highly on this catastrophization or kinesiophobia, no matter how severe their injury was, if they ranked highly on those things, it, um, turned out that they had worse outcomes and struggled to, uh, Recover from their injury compared to those who didn't rank as high on the catastrophization and kinesiophobia. And this ties in really well with recovery being a biopsychosocial construct. It's all this interwoven relationship because the psychosocial would be, or the catastrophization and kinesiophobia would tie into that biopsychosocial um, relationship. It has nothing to do with how severe the injury is, um, but to do with your emotions and your thoughts and what you're feeding that particular injury. Um, Another kind of example, I guess, of the um, pain being a part of context is past, I, I mentioned past experiences, emotions, like thoughts. If you had this knee pain again, and you've also had knee pain in the past that has really been a struggle to recover from, or maybe you've known someone in the past who's had knee pain and had to bail on their marathon plans and they've never returned to running again. Um, Those sorts of past experiences, emotions, thoughts are extremely different to someone who's had knee pain. Um, For the first time ever, they go see a health professional. The health professional tells them it's no big deal. Do a couple of these things and you should be back running in a couple of weeks those two outcomes, no matter how bad the pain is or how severe the injury is, they've had two different experiences um, based on their past past history, based on their emotions, based on the thoughts that they're now giving this injury. All of that is the brain just ramping up its urgency, ramping up the severity and being like, this is a big deal. This is really serious. Let's produce a lot of pain to this area because we really want to be careful and not... Just quickly chiming in here to let you scholars know, I have just updated my five-day injury prevention challenge. This is one email per day for five days, learning new concepts and diving into the science on how you can reduce your risk of injury. The sign-up link is in the show notes, so fill in your details and I'll be waiting for you in email number one tomorrow. ...make uh, this worse. Whereas on the other side, the brain's kind of gathering all this data and saying, okay, We've gathered this data. It's probably not a big deal. It's probably going to recover in a couple of weeks. Maybe the level of urgency isn't as high as you know it should be. And so the outcome of pain, the pain experience is a lot different. And therefore, the recovery itself is also quite different. And we know that runners, once you get an injury, it can really be tough with your thoughts and emotions. It can really drive pessimism. Um, it's, you know, it's really tough being injured and being unable to run or having your running dictate, having the injury dictate the amount of running that you do. And it's never a really good position to be in. We all want to run pain-free. We all want to run the distances, the speeds, the frequencies that we, that we want and not have an injury dictate exactly what we do. It's never a fun experience to be in. Um, And, we can naturally gravitate towards some pessimistic attitudes and emotions. If you're injured, it can be miserable. You're kind of choosing it to be miserable, but it's like almost the default state. And that's kind of amplified, especially for those who say they run for mental health. We know there's a lot of people who just love running, but others that, you know, maybe they've had a a history of anxiety, stress, depression, Maybe they're just in a high stressful state, whether it be with work or with family, and running is that release. Running is the that mental benefit that they get. And then they're injured and they can't run. You know, sometimes a lot of those anxieties and a lot of those stresses sort of build up when you're unable to run. It's kind of like a a double whammy, a double buildup of all this stress. And so when you're injured and you have pain and you need to recover those sort of feed-forward emotions, stress, anxieties, um, not only would impact the experience of pain, but also delay your recovery. So it's a really, really tricky spot, a really tricky scenario that a lot of runners have, particularly, like I said, especially for those who are the, the highly stressed and anxious people and then they're injured and running is their stress relief and it's being taken away or it's been inhibited. It can be a really tough scenario. And then you have, again, on top of that, if there's a lack of recovery, if this injury drags on, you know, several weeks into months sometimes, that can even just feed forward this uh, negative thought pattern of saying, okay, maybe I'm just not going to get better. What about if I never get better? What about if I can never race like I once used to? I was running races last year and being really fine. Will I ever get back to that? It's... The longer the injury is, the more those thoughts and feelings kind of feed each other and kind of just um, has this perpetual cycle, I guess you could say. And so, like I said, some, some injuries can last for months and years. Um, and the longer it goes on, the longer that injury kind of persists, it's it's almost like the less we rely on the mechanical side of things and more we have to consider the psychosocial patterns because the body heals. If you have a muscle strain, if you have a tendinopathy, and even if it's mismanaged here and there, generally speaking, it heals. The body does a good job of healing itself. If you get cut, the body scabs over, it heals, it goes away, and then we don't have to worry about it again. The same thing is usually for most musculoskeletal injuries, but we know that injuries persist well beyond a couple of weeks, sometimes years. And even if, if it is is, the, the brain is sort of still thinking of that area as needing to heal or needing to recover. And the thoughts and emotions that you're feeding that over that period of time tends to warp and create like a disillusion for the brain to highly prioritize this injury as real relevance and real urgency, and real, uh, it becomes a real sensitive kind of structure. And any sort of build up, any sort of jump back into a little bit of running or strength, or any time you try and challenge that injury just a little bit with strength training or exercise, the brain says, No, remember, we have to really take care of this injury. We really need to make sure we don't injure this again because of all the histories we've had in the past and does the job of protecting the area, but just over protects it. It becomes really sensitized to that area. You become really hyper vigilant of that area and can start to feed into this more psychosocial um, influences. And so the longer the injury is, like I say, the less it's kind of like this mechanical wait for the the tissues to heal sort of scenario and more of a okay, what sort of thoughts and feelings and emotions are we contributing to this? How are we preferencing the alertness? Um, How much relevance should we give a lot of these pain signals? Those sort of things. And you can often see a pattern um, sometimes with my clients who have had pain for, let's say, years or six months plus, and their pain doesn't really make sense mechanically. They have their good days, they have their bad days, and upon a little bit of investigation, they say, you know what? I'm actually on the bad days. It's actually probably when I'm a lot more stressed. If I have a more stressful day at work, or if um, something happens that just triggers my anxieties and stress, that's probably the days where I have more pain for my injury. That sort of pattern means that it is a lot more of the psychological influences. Okay. We're, we're now considering all the above elements that we've just previously discussed that the brain is responsible for producing pain. The brain has gathers data both of what's biomechanically going on, the level of damage, but also considers the past experiences, just context, um, the thoughts that you feed it, the emotions that you feed it, just gathers all that information before determining. How severe should this pain be? How long do you think this takes to recover? It's like just using all of those um, influences. Consider all that. Now let's dive into the CBT, Cognitive Behavioral Therapy, and a, a few other things in terms of treatment, in terms of what we should do. Because, well, let's dive into CBT to start with. So it's kind of this element of, What we think affects how we feel emotionally, which then affects how we feel physically and then affects how we act and behave. A lot of people think it's like the other way around. We, based on how we act is kind of how we feel, but it's, this sort of concept is, okay, it all stems from our own thoughts that that's kind of like the underlying driver between how we act and how we behave. So what would be an example How we think, so let's just say we're injured, let's just say we have this knee pain. How we think affects how we feel emotionally. So we might have knee pain and think, okay, this is a really good sign to show what my level of capacity actually is because I may have ran 60 kilometers last week and then I went to 68 the week after and then I became injured. So now that I have this knee pain, my thinking is okay. Now I kind of know my ceiling. I kind of know that was a little bit too much. This let's take this as a learning experience and let's make sure we learn from it, and make sure it doesn't happen again. We'll, we'll do all the right things and we'll make sure this settles down, and then we will put in place some strategies to make sure it doesn't happen again. This is just thinking going on, and so that the thinking what we think affects how we feel emotionally. So, just that particular thought pattern. My emotions would be, okay, you'd feel in control. You'd feel like you have a plan. You feel like you're learning. Um, there's, yes, uh, it's a bit bummed out that I do have this pain, but all these other thoughts are just making it less um, anxiety-driven and a bit more of a, a comfortable experience all around. So how we think affects how we feel emotionally. The, the next layer is which affects how we feel physically So if I'm just telling myself all these things and coming up with this proactive plan, my pain signals would actually start, well, might remain quite low or might be quite high at the start. And then if I think all this through, the pain itself might actually settle. So it affects how we feel physically. Um, And then affects that other layer is affects how we act and behave. So my actions and my behavior is a little bit more proactive, a little bit more optimistic. We, we put things into action, and then we start behaving like a bit more of a, okay, let's start recovering from this. Let's get into rehab mode and let's take action. Whereas if we reverse that and try and do something a little bit different, um, so what we think, if I do get this knee pain from going from 60 kilometers to 68 per week the next week, and then I get this knee pain. I think, God, every time I increase my mileage, I just fall to pieces. What is happening? Uh I, I need I need to build up my mileage to prepare for races in the future, but every time I build this up, I just fall apart. I start getting pain. Maybe this is not good for me. Maybe it's something biomechanically there's something going on. Maybe my maybe I'll look up on um, Google and see that maybe my ITB is too tight or my quads are too weak and that's pushing my kneecap out of alignment and causing this sort of pain. And so that's just me coming up with something off the cuff, um, something that, that might be linked to this pain. And so how we think affects how we feel emotionally, affects how we feel physically. So if I'm just feeding feeding my brain and feeding my body with these thoughts, you know, physically you might start nurturing that, that knee. You might want to stop running altogether. You might want to be really careful with going upstairs and how you move. And physically you feel a bit, or emotionally you feel a bit depressed, a bit down being like, damn, another injury. Every time I increase my mileage." this really sucks. I I wish I was like all those other people that just build up their mileage and don't break down. Will I ever get back to races? Will I ever get back to running fast? And then it affects how we act and behave. So we might, you know, be really slump, might be really somber, like kind of just move around, um, not really exercise, might start eating a bit poorly, might start like a general attitude in social situations is a little bit down. These sort of things. So how we think, affects how we feel emotionally, affects how we feel physically, affects how we act and behave. Pretty much just like the basis of CBT and just two scenarios there that you might have the same injury, but it's the experience is totally different and the outcome is totally different depending on how you think about it. It's a conscious decision of how you analyze your thoughts and emotions. And then on the other side of that, it's just like affecting the outcome. So in a, in a way, we've talked about the psychosocial, the biopsychosocial influences of pain and injury and how it can kind of perpetuate on a negative side of things, how, it, how the biopsychosocial is used against you. But in a way, the CBT and thinking, having a conscious decision of how you analyze your thoughts is actually taking the biopsychosocial influences and turning it into your advantage. It's taking these things and saying, okay, let me consciously think about how I think and what my emotions are and flip the script so that I'm using this to my advantage. So I kind of just use those two examples. Um, People can just easily, I jump on injury chats all the time free injury chats, people who are injured um, jump on and I get to hear what they think about their injury and I get to impart some wisdom. But most of the time, I get to get a little window into what their thoughts are, how they're thinking about this injury. So I get it constantly, and there's a wide array of different responses to injuries. And some people, it's really easy for some people to think that maybe it's how I'm running. Maybe it's my form. Maybe um, I'm just, like, not built to be a runner. Maybe there's just, like, maybe I'll never be able to run a marathon again. And these things, well... I understand that. I, I, I get that when someone's in pain, pain is very closely linked to misery, just the way it is. And when you are miserable, it's very easy for negativity to be the default state. When things are going great and you're happy because you're pain-free and you're running, you're doing races, all that sort of puts you in a positive energy, like the, the positivity and optimism would be your default state. But when you're in pain... It's kind of the negativity and the pessimism, which is the default state. And it's very hard to sort of flip that, but CBT can actually flip that. You just have to do it consciously. Um, So instead, like I said, if you are injured, lay out a plan. You'd be surprised at how either just getting a health professional or doing the, the work yourself to make and create a plan can have a huge impact on... How you want to deal with it, just like the emotional state, the amount that you is now within your control, and I think control is a pretty big um, element in the recovery. Because when you're when you're injured, there's a lot of uncertainty. There's a lot of uncertainty of how long it'll take to get better, what you can do, what exercise you can do, how far you should run, how fast you should run, what shoes you should wear, what terrain you should run in. Um, it's a bit of a guessing game unless you have some professional help, but. Like I said, there's a lot of uncertainty there. But once you have a plan in place, like it's, it's nice to ha- have something within your control. And then that tends to help your emotional state, which then helps your recovery. So for most cases, if you are injured, you can use this, see it as an opportunity. See it as recovery is now my primary focus. This is what I, I should be doing. These are the steps that I should make. In the book, I sort of detailed this concept of the rehab ladder. I've talked about in the podcast a little bit before, but went into a bit more detail. You where you're currently at, if you are injured, you have a current capacity. Your injury can tolerate a certain amount of running, a certain amount of strength training, all those sort of elements. So that's your current state. The rehab ladder is just finding little increments, little steps to build up your capacity, build up your strength and power and endurance, mobility, flexibility, all those sort of things that you require to get to your next goal. So your next goal might be pain-free running and laying out those steps, laying out that plan in that rehab ladder to get to that future capacity, future goal is uh, a important component of just laying out a plan, having that plan, following the steps, and then being in control of that process. So, back to the CBT side of things. Um, if pain isn't making sense, if your thoughts, stress, and anxiety is quite prominent, maybe you're prone. Maybe you might know that in the past, just in general, that you're more stressed. Um, you maybe have a history of depression or anxiety. Um, that. Might be your default state. You might go to that default state no matter what, even when you're running well or when you're injured. If that's quite prominent in your default state, apply mindfulness, meditation, breathing exercises, all this sort of stuff. Make sure you're conscious of the role of emotions and the social construct in your pain and in your recovery, in your rehabilitation, because. There's so many, I've seen a big, big link to those who are injured, those who have been injured for a very long time for something that's not really that threatening. Maybe they've had patellofemoral pain, so kneecap pain, but they've had it for a year and it's really worrying them. And then they also say, and like I kind of get the injury and I say, well, why has it been going on for so long? Like patellofemoral pain usually with good management goes away in a couple of weeks or significantly heals in a couple of weeks. Why is it persisting for so long? And then you, then what comes out is a lot of their thoughts and emotions and the stuff they attribute to the pain. And then they also might say, you know, I have had a history of depression, anxiety in the past. So it kind of just it doesn't really... Their default state is like kind of setting them up for a prolonged recovery in the first place. If they were to get injured, no matter what the injury was, their default state is not really laying out a foundation for a nice swift recovery. And so in those particular circumstances, applying this mindfulness would be a really, really good strategy for recovery. Meditation, breathing exercises all help settle down the stress, settle down the anxieties, and you're using that as a tool to settle down the pain, to increase the capacity so that you're able to do more things, do more exercises, run with greater... um, Dosage or greater capacity without symptoms flaring up. So you're using this, using your thoughts, really conscious of how you think, change how you think, sort of feed forward some better emotions and better thoughts. And research has shown, like um, I shared that in that episode 176, people with knee pain, there's research to show that those who use mindfulness in their recovery actually get better quicker because of the thoughts and emotions that side of things when it comes to recovery just use it to your advantage recognize it recognize it as an important component in your recovery but then do some strategies implement some strategies for your advantage i have had um rachel's offness on in the past to talk about pain management she has a book the pain management workbook which i have right beside me um, the subtitle is Powerful CBT and Mindfulness Skills to Take Control of Pain and Reclaim Your Life. And I've suggested it to a number of clients in the past. I've had tremendous success with it, particularly just picking picking our patients and that sort of stuff. But um, people have read this book and actually had some really nice revelations. And uh, hopefully when I get my guest on next week to talk about this sort of stuff, maybe there's a bit more practical strategies I know I haven't really delved into okay what can we do for mindfulness what can we do for meditation or breathing exercises how do we get into a flow state which hopefully my guest next week can can dive into um which will tie all this in really well so I've kind of laid out the the framework I've kind of laid out the the theoretical side of things um we'll probably delve into a lot of the practical stuff next week and It won't just be a lot about um, pain, injury, recovery. I, I don't see the direction next week of that episode going into rehab or pain or injury. A lot more about flow state inside and outside of your running. So it can be beneficial for those who aren't in pain, but also who have pain as well. So looking forward to bring you that next week. Thanks for tuning in and listening. As I sign off, remember every new insight brings you one step closer to your next running breakthrough who are looking for evidence-based long-term solutions and will not accept problematic quick fixes. And last but not least, who serve a cause bigger than themselves and pass on the right information to other runners who need it. I look forward to bringing you another episode and helping you on your Run Smarter path.